before the lesson will be Psalm 119, Psalm 119, verses 5 to 112. And I'll be reading from the New American Standard Version. Start verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn and I will confirm it. That I, will, that I will keep your righteous ordinances. I am exceeding, exceedingly afflicted. Revive me according to your, your word. O oh, accept, accept the full offerings of my mouth, O Lord, Lord, and teach your ordinances. My life is, is continually in my hand, yet I not forget your, your law. The wicked have laid a, a snare for me, yet I have not gone astray from, astray from priests. I have inherited your, your testimony forever, for they, for they are joys of my heart. You have inclined my, my heart to perform your statutes forever, even to the end. Good morning. morning. Just a few pages back back from Psalm 119 is where we're going to actually begin this morning. Psalm 115. Just a couple of Psalms back. We're going to read Psalm together as we begin our our study from God's Word this morning. And I I want you to be looking for a couple of specific things. First first of all, I want you to be listening very very closely to how how it is that the Psalm references God. And a little bit of uh, the answer to you, I want you to really take, take notice of the simple fact that is laid, laid in front of us here by, by the promise that there is no, no one like God. Nothing compares to him. Nothing com- clo- comes close being referenced as he, he is. He alone is the true and living Looking for that. Let's read it to get to get Psalm 115. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but, but to your name give glory. Be, because of your mercy, because of your, your truth. Why, why should Gentiles say, so where is their God? But our God is in heaven. He, he does whatever he pleases. Their, their idols are silver and gold. The work of men's hands, they, they have mouths. But they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have, but do not smell. They have hands, they do not handle. Feet they have, but they do not walk. Nor do they mutter through their, their throat. Those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. Oh, Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Oh, house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both small and great. May, may the Lord give you increase more and more. You and your children, may you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's. But, but the earth he has given to the children of, of men. The, the dead not praise the Lord, nor any who go down into society. But we, we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. It's an incredible passage we have about God and who, and who he is and what he's all about. 
specifically the, the blessings that come from, from it. We will this morning build upon that thought. And we're going to do so by you use a story, a sto- story that maybe a lot of you will be, be familiar, maybe some of you not, but it is a, is a story that is found in the pages here in the Testament in the book of 2 Kings and chapter 6. While you're making your way that passage, I want to welcome you this morning. What a fantastic opportunity and a glory to be here. It's an incredible joy that we we had together to worship our God together. And Morgan opened for us to to focus our our minds on the the reason that we are here to glorify and to praise God. And certainly we've done done that together this morning. As we we have praised Him in song, as we have, have thought about the sacrifice that he made for each and every one of us and lifted him up because of that as we have bowed before his, his throne, glorifying him and him and praising the power that he has and now the opportunity to have to open up his word and to study from it. Sometimes time, I, I think we struggle a little bit, bit to see how it is that we can praise and glorify God even as we open up his word and study from it. It's easy, easy to see how we do that when we sing praise, praise to him or even we think about the sacrifice that's been made. But I'll t- tell you the easiest Ways to do, do that as we open up his word is for his next few minutes to think about and to meditate on what we see with great energy. You study from his word with energy this morning. You listen to what he has to say. You, you listen to the direction that, that he gives and you do so with gusto this, this morning. And glorify and praise him for all things. So to help us do that, we're going to look at a story that takes place in the book of 2 Kings in chapter 6. We're going to see, see some things specifically about God. There are other characters in play. There are other, other characters in this story, but by no, no means do they supplant Jesus or supplant God as the key character in this story. We learn, learn some things about people for sure, but it is what we learn about God is the key here. And so this morning, as we, as we go through this passage, we're going to see three very, very specific things about, about God that was learned here that helped the character in this story. But more importantly for us today, the, the three things that can help us here today. As we sit here in this, in this time, in this world that we live in. Three things about, about God that can help. We're going to begin in 2 Kings chapter 6, and we're going to, we're going to begin in verse 8, and we're going to read down through, down through verse 14, and we're going to learn our number one about the simple fact that a God, God sees everything. How can that be helpful? Let's read the story together. 2 Kings chapter 6, beginning in verse 8. Listen carefully to how this unfolds. Now the king of Syria was making war at Israel. And he consulted with his serving, my camp will be in such and such a place. And, and the man of God sent to the king of Israel, saying, be we way that, that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are coming down there. And then the, and then the king of Israel sent someone to the place of which the man of, man of God told him. And thus he, he warned him, and he was, was watchful there. And, and he just once or twice. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by the, this, this thing. And he called his, his servants and said to them, Will you not show me which of us for the king of Israel? One of his servants said, My lord, 
But Elijah, the prophet, who was in Israel, tells the king of Israel the, the words that you speak in, in your room. And so he said, you, you go see where he is, that I may send and give get. And I told him, saying, surely, surely he's in Dothan. And therefore, he sources and chariots and a great army there. And they came by night and rounded the city. Now, I want you to think about what's taking place here. And this is really going to hell. And as we flush out this story and as we understand what's happening here. It's very descriptive, the first few verses of the story. It's very descriptive. It does a great job of giving us a picture of all that's taking place. You have this great army, Syria, and then they are raiding Israel. They are going to this city, and they are raiding, and then they go to another city, and they are raiding. And what is happening is that God is giving Elisha a heads up. Here is the place that the army is going to be, and so they can prepare themselves. Here is the next place they are going to be, and you can prepare yourself. And here is the next place that they are going to be, you can prepare themselves. You take notice, this didn't happen once, or it didn't happen twice. It happened a multitude of times. So, so that the king of Syria was beginning, as was certainly logical, he's going to do some, something very illogical in a moment, but the logical conclusion he come, comes to, is that there, there is a, tra- a traitor amongst us. Somebody is feeding Israel our battle plans. We're riding up. We are, we are old up at him and his generals. And we're making the plans. And say, we're, we're go- going to this place. And someone in, in the room is then sending a message to Israel. Letting them know that this is where we're going to, to be. But there's a servant that says, Cause King, that isn't what ha- happened at all. He says, that's not what's happening. There isn't a traitor amongst us. There is a prophet in Israel, Elisha, a prophet who listens to God who is telling him where we're going to be. But he adds, he is so thorough in his knowledge of your plans, he hears in the words you speak. Not, not a room full of people. But he hears the words you speak in your own bedroom. And so King, although he came to a very logical conclusion about there must be a traitor amongst us, develops what can only be described as, as a, an illogical thing. Because think about what he's decided to do. He has been trying to sneak up on the Israelites for a long time. And every single time that he has tried to sneak up on the Israelites, he has been thwarted in that endeavor. And they know he's coming. And so he finds out the one who is relaying all the secret information on where they'll be sneaking up. He says, listen, listen. We cannot have our, our secret information being passed out each and every time we sneak up, up on the Israelites. They know we're coming. I have, I have a plan. How about we sneak up on this? I know they see us coming all the, all the time. We're sneaking around. How, how about we sneak around? That's what happens, friends, right? He gathers them together, and the text tells us by night they... And guess what? 
God sees that. Back in the book of Psalms, in Psalm 139. In Psalm 139, listen, listen to four verses of this psalm. David talks about what it is that God sees. He says, Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. This incredibly complete knowledge base that he's working with. That's where he is. Now, I want you to think, think about the point of that, really. really. When we think about the idea and the rea- reality that God sees everything, thing, that there's really a couple of, couple of different places that we go. One, one place that we almost go immediately. And although though there is an application point to, to be made, I do not think that's the point, the point that's being made here. Uh, generally, the, the very first idea that pops, pops into mind when it comes to the reality that God sees everything is that I cannot hide sin from God. And it's just foolish to try to do so. so. That I cannot hide my sin from God because He sees everything. Although I may, may be able to hide it from man, I cannot hide it from God because He sees everything. And it's foolish to try to do so. That is a spiritual fact. It is a, an application point to be made. All may be able to hide sin and wickedness from man. man we cannot do that from God. And yes, yes it is Foolish tried to do so. But I don't, I don't think the point that's being made in 2 Kings chapter 6, 6 or even the point that's being made in Psalm 139. The point that's being made in those two passages, especially in our story here in 2 Kings chapter 6, is the idea that God sees everything, even the things we can't see. So because of that, he's able to protect us. He's able to keep us safe. It is the passage that we read at the beginning of our study. In Psalm 119, verses 1-5, a passage that we are certainly familiar with. Your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. Prophet Jeremiah reminds each and every one of us in Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 3 that it's simply not within us to hit our own path. Why? Why? Because we cannot see everything. God sees everything. And because he has, has he sees everything, he said, let me, let me help you. Let, let, me, let me help you. Take, take my word, take my, my will, lay it in, in front of you to light your way. Let me help you. And now the point is how foolish it would be to not use, use that. There's a couple of Way it fits. We understand the concept that it is dangerous to maneuver around when we can, cannot see everything. Just as it's dangerous, it's frightening. Let me give you an example, a very personal example that, that happened just a few hours ago. Last night we were up at the high school and at the last choir performances. And uh, several of, of, uh, of you were e- even there last night. And, and, and then towards the back end of that per- performance, uh, they had uh, th- those of us who um, 
serve on the, the parent voice voice board I do I'm vice president and and they had us come up and they you know thanked us and gave us, gave us a little gift and, and, and so I want you to, to tell me the, the stage there at Brownsburg is you know you know is large and and so so you had the directors they were they were off on one side or way over here here the microphone and they're saying hey come on up we'll give, we'll give you this gift now I was sitting sitting way on this side and so I got, I got out of my seat, and I came down, down the hallway, and I came up the stairs on this side of the stage, and I had to walk all the way over. They didn't come to me. I had to, I had to, I had to walk. Everybody else smart, smart sat on that, that side, so they just came right up. And so here we were. I received my, my gift. We're shaking hands. Thank, thank you so much. It was so much, much fun. You know, we're doing all of the, the pleasantries. It was standing up there. I said, how come Christina didn't walk up to? But we'd, we'd do something else. And so, so we're, we're done it, and they're going to move on to the next thing. And so I'm headed back, back my seat. But the, the other, other, one of the other directors was in the, in the orchestra pit, and he, and he was at the piano. No, I thought it'd be nice if I just paused for a sec, said a little something to him, and I start in my way. And I get to about right, right here on the stage. And all pre- preparations for the next act. And what that looked like, absolute darkness. Absolute and complete dark darkness. And I'm standing about, about right here, and I immediately think two things. One, I know there's stairs close to where I am that I need to get down. And then, and then secondly, I also have a seat somewhere out there in the darkness that I don't know if I'm going to be able to find. But, but luckily, there was a small light to help. Because the, the stairs lit up just a little bit, a bit. And so I was able to see them, and I was able to, to walk down safely and, and my way down the aisle. Now, the pro- problem that I was going to have, I almost had a pro- problem right there. <laughs> the problem, you're like, like all lights are on, and I still can't, can't find it. But once I adverted that problem, my, my, my thought was, well, how am I going to find my seat? I came up with a very, very quick plan B. To not, not look foolish, that if I bypass the seat, I'm not going to go back. I was just going to pretend I was going to the restaurant or something. I'm just, just going. But, but uh, I knew what side it was on, and I'm walk, walking very slowly. And, and uh, luckily, um, my loving son, Malachi, heard him giggling. Uh, and I was making my, my way into my seat, so that helped. But the point that was... When that dark darkness hit, it was scary. It was scary because I, I, I knew there were dangers around me and I couldn't see them. Something illuminated them. I'm able to go. You see, we, we see, see those things all the time. Just a few, few days ago on Thursday, if you were out, were out Thursday morning, it was incredibly foggy on Thursday morning. I mean, I mean really foggy. And it was difficult to, to see where you're going. And headlights lights are important. Malachi and I, and I were driving morning, and, and we, we were commenting at how foolish it was for the cars that were passing us, us to have their lights, lights on. Now, I want you to understand that is where we are, we are spiritually. You see, God sees everything. He, he sees all that there is. And he is willing to help help us navigate. How foolish 
it, it is to try to navigate this world without him. I can't think of a more foolish thing. Pick the aspect. You're trying to navigate a marriage without God in it. Does it get any more for foolish than that? You're trying to navigate the, the workplace without God directing your path is foolishness. Trying to navigate school or, or navigate those relationships there without, without God directing that is foolishness. You're trying to parent without God directing your, your parenting is foolishness. God has to be the one directing because we're not equipped to do it. But, and he, he sees everything. In the book of Matthew chapter 10, there's an interesting passage that folds that talks specifically about God's care for us. And carefully to how it is rendered. Matthew chapter 10, beginning in verse 28. Matthew chapter 10, being in verse 28. He, he said, not fear those who kill the body, but kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper copper coin, and one of them falls to the ground? Apart apart from your father's will, the very hairs of your head are numbered. Do not fear therefore; you are of more value than than many sparrows. The point there that's being made is that if God's eyes are on sparrows, surely He is watching for His own children. Most certainly He is. The question, question remains, will we allow him to look and to see for us? And that becomes the key to the ne next part of the story. What we and how we see. And so the second thing we see in this, in this story about God is, is just that he, he sees everything, but, but he protects his own. Back to the King chapter 6, now verse 15, as we pick up the story, verse 15, when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots, a servant said to him, alas, my master, shall we do? Remember, at night they gathered around the city. He wakes up and he sees, so he answered, do not fear. Those who are with us are more, more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed. And he said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And then the Lord opened the, opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. See, Elisha's servant, although an early riser, which is good, I suppose, had a problem, and his problem was his faith. Problem was his faith was weak. Now what he saw and how he saw it. He wakes up, he sees he's the city surrounded by the enemy, so what does he do? He runs for help. He gets Elisha, and is Elisha, Elisha bothered? Does he seem con concerned as this young orphan is? He doesn't in this story. 
Because if you take notice, the only, only concern that Elisha seems, seems to have is, is for servant. Not for the arm, army in the camp outside the city. He doesn't even mention really, really a it is servant, and specifically what the servant sees. You see, Elisha isn't concerned. Why? Because, because he's seeing differently than this servant. He understands hands God is there. He understands God is protecting. He, he understands that God sees everything. And that understanding comes in incredible amounts of courage. Think about these passages very quick, quickly. We're going to read them right in a row. In Psalm 27, you can turn to these if you'd like, or you can, you can listen as I'll read them for us. In Psalm 27, Psalm 27 and verse 3, listen to what the psalmist says here. Psalm 27 and verse 3. Though an army, sound familiar? Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not, not fear. Though the war rise against me in this, I will be confident. A few pages from, from here, Psalm 56. Psalm 56 now in verse, verse 3 of that text. Whenever I am afraid, great advice, I will, will trust in you. I was right in Isaiah chapter 12 specifically. And in Isaiah chapter 12, they make, make the point about this same, same exact thing about God. Verse, verse 2 of Isaiah 12, Be, Behold, God is my salvation. I, I will trust and not be afraid. For Yahweh, the Lord, it is a strength in song. He also says, Become my salvation. We read or turn to Deuteronomy chapter, chapter 20, but very similar language is used there. You see, Elisha is seeing differently than this servant. This servant is living and he is walking, not, not, not faith, but he's doing so by sight. And, and we know there are passages that point, point to the importance of not walking that, that way. Walk by sight, it's important to walk by faith. But being able to do that, the only way to be able to do that, is being able to see the, the invisible. Really interesting passage in Hebrews chapter 11. And in Hebrews chapter 11, and talking, talking of Moses and, and, and all of the decisions he made. How was he able to make the decisions he made? How was he able to make those decisions and leave leaving all the riches of, of Eve behind and, and, and choosing even to suffer roach with his own people? How was he able to, able to make those decisions Decisions, those kinds of choices, and seem seeming easily. We're told in, told in chapter 11 how he's able to do that. In verse, verse 27, it says, says By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. A powerful passage. See, seeing him who is invisible. The story in 2 Kings chapter 6 is a great, great example of the rea reality of God's protection and our ability to see it. 
You see, this servant was able to see it. Moses was able to see he who was invisible. Sometimes we try to convince ourselves we can't. We can't see that. We cannot see the invisible. That's what the world tells us. The world tells us we cannot see the invisible. But God, through faith, we are able to see. The reality is he's everywhere. He's looking out for us and he's protecting us. But we've got to be looking for him. You see, the great, great danger that we have in the world that is walking according to this When we come, come to it like this, lots of us this, this morning, nearly 400 of us. A lot of us are facing the same obstacles, the dangers, the same temptations where we have a lot of our mind that loves the invisible God and looks for, for him and searches for him. But we don't do that all the, all the time. Because we also love the realities of this world. We spend our life trying to marry those two things. I love the idea of God. I certainly love the idea of heaven. And I see the benefits of following him, but yet I love what this world has to offer as well. And we spend our life in a futile attempt of combining those two forces. I don't know how God can word it any stronger than he does. Literally at the very beginning of his book to the very end of his book. That those two things cannot be married together. That he is a just God. That he has put us in a position to choose one or the other, not both. The danger is we convince ourselves that both is is an option. We do that for one one reason, I think. One one justification. I'm going to ask that that you push this justification so far away from where you are that you never reach for it again. I think one of the strongest justifications that we use of of dwelling places, spiritual and physical, in our comparison to the, to the ground us. When it comes to Nebuchadnezzar, tons more spiritual he is. When it comes, comes to the people that I know, the people I hang around with, with I, I, they don't even know who God is. I know, I know who God is. Surely that scores something in my, my book. Right? And we begin to compare ourselves to people around us and make sure we justify it. By being just a bit more spiritual or just a bit more holy than the people around us. God's word doesn't make its comparison. The only comparison God's word makes in regards to our holiness is to be holy as, as compared to God's holiness. Be holy as I am holy, Peter writes. And so a choice must be made. Are we going to accept his protection or will we, will we walk foolishly through this world? 
One final picture. Back, back to 2 Kings chapter 6. As, as this story concludes, it's a picture that God sees, a picture that he, that he protects, a picture as, as we close of his mercy. This story will end with a plot twist. I mean, I don't, I don't know how it's any different. It ends in a way that is very unexpected, if you will. And it is unexpected for lots of parties involved. It's Kings chapter 6, beginning in verse 18. Listen to how this story closes. And so when the Syrians came down, Elisha prayed the Lord and said, Strike this, this people I pray with blindness. And he struck them with, them with blindness according to the word, the word of Elisha. Now Elisha said to them, this is, this is no way, nor is this the city. Follow me, follow me and I'll bring to the man whom you see. But he led them to, them to Samaria. And so it was when they had come to Samaria that Elisha said, Lord, Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. see. The Lord opened their, their eyes. They saw and they, they were inside of Samaria. And now when the king of Israel saw me, he said to Elisha, My father, shall, shall I kill him? Shall I kill him? But he answered, You shall not kill them. Would you kill those whom you have taken captive your sword and your bow? Set food and food and water before them, that they may, may eat and drink and go to their master. And then he heard a great feast for them. And after they ate and drank, he sent them away and went, went to their master. And so the bands of Syrian readers came no more into the land of Israel. What an incredible conclusion. A most unexpected did come. As, as when Elisha's servant eyes opened, another there, this army eyes are closed. Elisha prays, Lord, strike the blindness so that we can go out and sla- slaughter them all. That's not, that's not what happens. Lord, Lord, strike them with blindness. And Elisha leads them. To the, the very city center, the capital of Israel. And their eyes are opened, and they, they are outside taking siege to a city, but they are inside of the city and in grave danger. king of Israel thinks that things have gone his way. His way. I can kill them. Should we kill them now? And Elisha says, no, we're not going to do that mercy. Let's feed them. Feed them with the scraps on the table? No. A great feast laid before them. Now, what's the point of that? Well, let's not, not lose sight that, that the text, this story is about God. And now an, inc- an incredible picture of his mercy. A couple of quick quick passages, and then we'll be done this, this morning. In the book Proverbs, in Proverbs, Proverbs are 25, there is, there is a... a, a Passage given to it will be quoted Romans chapter 12. When talking about the mercy of God. Proverbs chapter 25. Proverbs chapter 25, verses 21 and 22. If your enemy is hungry, give bread to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. So you will heap coals, fire on his head, and the Lord will reward you. That is reiterate Romans chapter 12. But it is God's mercy that's, that's from sin. How important is that to you? I'll tell you, as God himself says, is everything. I want to close with Ephesians chapter 2, beginning verses 1. 
Everyone very, very close, and you decide how important God's mercy is. We'll close with this. And in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, you he made alive who were, who were in trespasses and sins, and it and you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves and the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desire of the flesh and of the mind, or by nature, children of wrath, just as the others. But God, listen, is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you are saved. Raised, raised up together, and he's made, made us sit together in the heavenly places as in Jesus, that, that in ages to come might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Incredibly long, incredibly powerful sentence. Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 7. How important is God's mercy to us? How important was it to the Syrian raiders in 2 Kings chapter 6? It was the, the difference between life and death. For them, physically. But God's mercy is the different difference between life and death for us, spiritually. Because the gift of His Son is where, where life can be found. And maybe you're there, you're here this morning, and, and maybe, maybe you're thinking, well, how in the, in the world is he going to ever fit for first chapter 2, verses 9 and 10 into his lesson, which he has done about 15 times in a row? certainly fits right, right here. In first chapter 2 and verse 10, when we are rem- reminded who we were a people without mercy, but now have mercy. What a power, powerful thing that it is. A powerful thing for sure. But the power, power is there as where it comes from, and that's from God. And so, so what do we learn? We have, we have a God who sees everything. Not to be, to be full of Him, but to be thankful, thankful to Him. Because He shows us the, the way. Shows us the way. We have God who protects us. Who is there. Always there. We have a God who is rich in mercy. The story in 2 Kings chapter 6, but one that is all about God, the God that we serve. 